0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. All right. Welcome back to the WOMED fam. Patreon has officially been live for a week. I love the platform and I'm so happy to bring y'all exclusive WOMED content on there. I'm offering two subscription tiers. The WOMED tier gets you early access to episodes each week, ad-free episodes, that's a big one, early access to merch, and exclusive voting power. The NDE tier gets you access to everything in the WOMED tier, plus things like fan requests, and my personal favorite, live Q&A sessions each month with me. Head to patreon.com slash the WOMED to sign up today. And as a special incentive, the first five people to sign up for Patreon that also leave a five-star review of the podcast and mention that they signed up for Patreon. Sounds confusing. Promise it's not. We'll get a free WOMED Tumblr for your work fuel. You're welcome. I hope you're loving the necklace launch with Unlocked. All the support for the necklaces has been so overwhelming. I'm very, very excited, very happy. And I loved that I was able to partner with Unlocked, especially because they're local here in Nashville. One of the women that they actually have employed who's been transitioning out of homelessness has actually taken a job, finished her education, um, and is now working in home health. So they truly are doing a lot of good, especially in the Nashville community. So make sure you head to becomeunlocked.com to check out the necklaces. Get one for yourself and maybe one to give to empower one of your favorite people. All right. This week on the WOMED, I am so excited to bring you Lauren Sharp Payne. Lauren is a medical speech language pathologist, and I am so happy to finally feature speech on the podcast. I really hope you enjoy it. Lauren literally blows my mind with all the different ways speech therapy is involved in patient care. Okay, this week for nursy Energy... I'm bringing you my own NDE because I am feeling more and more like Nurse D again. You might have seen my personal post, but if you didn't, that's totally cool. But this girl is heading back to school. I made a decision and I am so excited for it. I'm starting a wound, ostomy, incontinence nursing program. And I really can't wait. Um, After doing more medical nursing in the OR setting, I realized how much I really miss that type of work. I felt more fulfilled. And honestly, it just feels really good to feel so excited about pursuing a new field of nursing. So keep sending me your nursy energy moments and stories. I really love reading them. Now on to the episode. Lauren, welcome to the WOMED. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So for those of you who don't know, Lauren Sharp Payne is a speech pathologist, and I have been dying to get a speech pathologist on the WOMED. (laughs) So, when you tell people what you do, what's Mm -hmm. the first thing that they automatically assume? Most people automatically
1: assume I work with kids. I just kind of sit with kids and teach them how to say their S's or their P's. And I mean, Speech pathologists do that, but I actually work with adults. And so I think the stereotype with speech pathologists is just kind of sitting down, playing games, working on different sounds. Um, but there's so much more to it than that. So, yeah.
0: Well, I'll admit, one of my um, good friends is literally dreading the day that her two-year-old's lisp goes away and it's (laughs) it's really cute though because right now her z's literally come from the back of her mouth like like her molars and she just it's adorable it's really cute (laughs) it is just (laughs) a little (laughs) oh my gosh yeah so you mentioned that you work with adults. So okay. did you? Is that kind of where you got started with everything, or where your passion really was? So I actually started my career working with kids. I worked with kids for about
1: two years, two and a half years, and I liked it initially. Um, but I quickly found out I just, it just—it wasn't what like sparked me. Like it wasn't my passion area, and so. I worked really hard to kind of transition over to the medical side of speech pathology. And I started working at outpatient rehab. So I was seeing a lot of patients who had had strokes and like traumatic brain injuries and swallowing disorders. And I really found that that was really my passion. That's really what just made me feel fulfilled at the end of the day. And so that's what I've been doing ever since that point.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. I feel like I, I mean, the only real interactions and stuff that I've had working with, with speech was I used to work in the NICU. Oh, nice. And so we'd have speech consults all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, if if we had like paralyzed vocal cords or, you Mm -hmm. know, cleft lip or palates or like preemies that just couldn't quite figure out how to suck, swallow, breathe yet. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah,
1: That's so cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's just, it just sounds like there's so many different fields, you know, within the mm-hmm. SLP route. There are, there are. And like I said, I think most of the time,
1: most people associate SLP with, you know, working with kids or like in the schools. I think the school is really popular, but like you said, there's so many different areas, you know, we can work in hospitals, we can work in nursing homes and you know, schools and private practices. So there's there's really a lot of different options in terms of, you know, where we can work, which is really cool.
0: So what led you into this career? Like, how did you first hear about it and, you know, get interested in it?
1: Yeah. So it's funny. I actually wanted to be a lawyer up until my senior year of high school. And I remember I had already declared my major and I was taking a sociology class in high school and there was a story about this young girl her name was Jeannie I don't know if you've heard the story but she was locked away for 12 years so her parents never interacted with her she had no human interaction and yeah, yeah. It, it was I saw that and like she had no communication at like whatsoever and so she worked with a speech therapist and He was able to communicate. It wasn't all verbal, it was nonverbal, signs, using pictures, but I thought that was just so neat that there was something out there where you could help people communicate, and the rest is history. I I just fell in love from that point.
0: That's really beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
1: I'm so glad I stumbled upon that video.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What's the school pathway like? Like, do you guys have to do clinicals? Is it Um, like a bachelor's or is it a doctoral degree now, or like how like if you're gonna coach someone through it or Mm -hmm. tell someone, you know, what they're in for. Yeah, so it's four years of
1: undergrad. Um, and then you do have to go to graduate school. So for me, my program was two years in graduate school, but if you don't have speech as an undergraduate degree, typically it's two and a half, maybe three years for the graduate program. And then after that, you're licensed, you're certified Um, after a nine-month period. There's no doctoral degree right now that's recommended or like that's required to be a speech pathologist, but you can most certainly get a doctorate degree. That's not in my path whatsoever. Um, (laughs) But after getting your master's degree, you do what's called a clinical fellowship year. And so that's nine months after you graduate where? you're essentially practicing as an SLP like you're getting a salary and everything but you're still technically under supervision. And so after that 9 months, um once you have all of your hours, you're then a certified speech pathologist so you don't need any supervision or you know, no one's giving you feedback. You're just kind of on your own completely after that point.
0: Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there different routes that you take if you want to be more on the medical side of things versus, you know, in schools or or working with PEDs?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I know in graduate school we do externships. So typically there are two externships. One is medical, one is typically pediatric, so it might be in the schools or it might be private practice. But I know that's when a lot of students really kind of narrow down where they wanna be in terms of their career. So a lot of students will just try to form more relationships with people in medical if they feel like they wanna pursue the medical side or vice versa with the school side. And then with the clinical fellowship year, so that nine month period after graduation, many students will try and get their CSY or the clinical fellowship year in that desired area of speech. So that way after they're done, they can hopefully get a medical job or a pediatric job, you know, once they don't need the supervision too.
0: Cool. Mm -hmm. I love that I found your Instagram and I was creeping through everything and watching different videos and you made your video about AAE Mm -hmm. and it sent me on a bit of a dive into, into honestly, like what it was and how AAE speaking children are getting misdiagnosed as having a speech impairment and I fully admit as a white girl who grew up in the country albeit Mm -hmm. like affluent white country it took me a long while to understand that other English dialects like Mm -hmm. really existed and I hadn't heard and I feel so like so ignorant saying this, but I hadn't heard of the term code switching until I had binged big Big Mouth this year, and and that's so sad. I know.
1: Oh no, wow. hey man, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's funny that you say I hadn't heard the term code switching until I probably got to like my last year of undergrad. I just it was just like something I did. I didn't know there was a name for it, for it per se. So. I'm kind of with you there, Where I hadn't, I hadn't actually heard that term before either.
0: Wow. Yeah. Is that like, I just, just when you were talking about like children getting, you know, misdiagnosed it just, I I just can't fathom how detrimental that is on mm-hmm. um, African American English speaking children to not have um, an SLP who isn't able to identify the difference between a dialect and an actual impairment.
1: I know, I know. And it's, you know, we go to school and we we learn about it, but it, it's so much, it's so different when you're, you know, in the trenches and you're working with these children mm-hmm. that speak this dialect, this their native dialect, and you know, maybe you haven't heard AAE or you know, maybe you're just not as familiar with it. It's it's easy to just label that as hmm, that doesn't sound like the norm, that doesn't sound like standard American English. So, you know, let's write that off as a disorder and put this kid in speech, but Um, you know kind of like what you just said is you know doing the work and being aware of different dialects and you know how that impacts a child's development even on the adult side so you know in my work setting we have a lot of black patients who speak AAE and certain treatment techniques that we do maybe after a patient has a stroke and they're producing sentences and using AAE you know being mindful not to correct that or you know, not to count that as an error just because that's that patient's native dialect. So it definitely comes with a
0: lot of just awareness and
1: doing more research and just learning more, too.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I can't imagine. Well, honestly, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to to make those videos. Yeah, and sure. Thanks um, for I mean, it's it's work, you know, Um, and and I just want to encourage anyone who's listening right now, to actually, please go to the Heart and watch and learn from Lauren because she's <laughs> really awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I try. I try to do my part. <laughs> Hold up. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And now back to the show. What would you say is your favorite part of the job? Wow, that's a good question.
1: Uh, One of my favorite parts of it, I guess, just seeing the progress in my patients. So I work in outpatient rehab and I love it because I get to spend so much time with my patients. So I usually see them once to maybe three times a week, and it's typically for a longer period of time. So sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's six months that I'm seeing them, sometimes it's a year, but just really being able to see their progress and you know seeing a patient go from not being able to eat anything to being able to eat you know whatever they want after they've had head and neck cancer it's just it's amazing to know that you've played a part in that um so yeah I think just seeing that progress it's it's really amazing
0: oh I got chills yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's good that's my favorite part though so. I would think that there's a lot of teaching that goes into this, like with the families too, Mm -hmm. especially if they're going home to, you know, they're not staying in like a nursing home per se, you know, they're going home to, to live with like their daughter, you know, or something like that. Yes. Yeah. That's a huge part of it. And especially with like children,
1: especially working with older patients, but children, I think sometimes have to have a lot more of that caregiver training and education because they just think that after the patient's had a stroke, they're going to come home and just be completely fine and go back to their normal self. But, you know, I, I truly believe that once someone's had a stroke or any other type of brain injury or traumatic event, you know, they they change as a person. And so they're not the same person that they were. And there's a lot of, Education for the family in terms of tips and strategies to use to reduce frustration in the home and just kind of understanding like there's a new normal now. Um, but you know, it's 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 almost like counseling too. And I always say, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not a counselor, it's not what I went to school for, but for some reason, somehow I've kind of developed this skill of being able to counsel and kind of being there for families as well because it it's it's not just the patient that's involved, it's their families and their friends and those who are closest to them as well. So it's, it's definitely wearing many hats, um, for sure. Oh, it
0: sounds like it, Mm -hmm. but it's well worth it. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say is like the worst part, or is there even a worst part of, of being a, a speech language pathologist?
1: Yeah, I would say the most difficult part is sometimes, you know, there are patients out there that are just really down. They're very defeated, depending on what the situation is. And sometimes they just don't want treatment or they just don't progress. And I know for me, like when I first started working especially in the medical side I always felt like it was me like it's something I'm doing I'm not a good therapist because this patient is progressing or they don't want to engage in therapy and so that's always like a huge blow to me internally it's just something I have to work on but um you know there's just some patients out there that don't want treatment they they just want to do what they want to do and that's completely fine everybody has the right to do that but it's it can be hard sometimes, if that
0: makes sense. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I kinda have this theory that, you know, and I've I've spoke to it before, but I think a lot of a lot of people in healthcare are fixers. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And not just in healthcare, but you know, the relationships and stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> it kinda that's carries a good point. over. <laughs> because we just we just want to help. You know, we, yes. we see a problem, we want to be able to fix it. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard thing to battle when you, when it's not up to you to fix it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's like you don't have that (laughs) control and it's, it's hard. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. Re- I, it wasn't until I started therapy that I realized I had control issues yeah. and I was a controlling
1: person. <laughs> it's okay. I feel like a lot of us are like that, honestly. So
0: <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think I'm alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you make a a really really valid point. I mean, that's just that's a really that's a tough thing to to face. Mm-hmm. Definitely. They can't or won't take the steps to to try and get better right exactly mm-hmm. but is is speech to your facility something that is consulted in or are you just part of you know the package deal like someone comes in with um a stroke or mm-hmm. had the throat cancer or something like that like you're just automatically working with them or is it like a do you have to fight like insurance on um, being like, no, like I'm a needed service <laughs> a needed and valued service? Yeah. So I actually work for the VA, which is um, the Department
1: of Veterans Affairs. So luckily, in terms of like insurance and fighting for services, we're very lucky there. Like if the patient needs speech I'm and the glad. doctor enters a consult, they get speech even if the patient feels like they don't need it. So I, I feel very lucky in that aspect that we don't have to go through all these like back and forth with insurance denials and all that. Um, but it is like up to the doctor or the patient to put the consult in. And then, you know, we see the patient after
0: that. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Is that, has speech had to kind of fight for like validation at all in the as like a very needed service? Do you know can you speak into that at all or yes oh my goodness I feel like we're always the other therapy you
1: know you hear about physical therapy mm-hmm. and occupational mm-hmm. therapy and then it's like oh there's speech on the side um so not so much in my current job but previous jobs I felt like I had to almost like advocate for myself as a speech pathologist and also for my patients Um, in terms of like why speech is important, why you need to invest in different materials and, you know, therapeutic materials so that I can best treat my patients. And I think sometimes, like I said, we just get the short end of the stick in certain, Mm -hmm. um, you know, certain uh, clinical situations or certain job settings. But I'm lucky where in my current job, I feel like, you know, we're well well respected by different doctors and like ENTs and primary care doctors. So you know. That's a
0: good thing. That's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I absolutely loved them in the NICU. Yeah. Um, just because there's just so many. Again, there's so many different things that you can do, but that like speech mm-hmm. is involved in. It's not. It's not just speaking. It's right. You know, being able to move your your throat muscles and everything. Mm-hmm. It's ability yeah. to, to <laughs> swallow. You know, exactly. It's just, Wow. I'm really grateful for (laughs) for what you're doing. Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah, I feel like all of us, like in the medical field, like we all have our special places. Like we all have some type of impact. So it's it's nice when we can all work together.
0: For sure. Like Mm -hmm. everyone kind of finds their own little niche. And that's what's so cool in medicine is that there are so many valuable places Mm -hmm. for women to be. Oh, yeah, definitely. Exactly. Just a sec, guys. We're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. Well, and here's another question. I feel like I I would think that speech like nursing is primarily female based. Am mm-hmm. I? My... Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are are there more men kind of joining the the field, or do you think it's kind of stereotyped as? Oh no, this is this is like a woman's a womanly type job
1: yeah I, I think there are more males now um I mean it's still overwhelmingly a female dominated field I think it's like 98 percent female um, oh wow yeah it's it's overly female um and I don't know why I've I've often thought about like why I, but I really just don't know. But I, I actually have a male colleague. I've never worked with a male SLP. Um, so they're definitely finding out more about speech pathology and pursuing it. But we have a long way to go in terms of, you know, balancing out the female to male. And and also kind of going along with that And in, in terms of the field of speech pathology, it's 96% white um so it's overwhelmingly oh. female overwhelmingly white as well and so I think they're just like there are more males coming into the field there's definitely more uh, people of color coming into the field too which is really good because we just you know need to be more diverse as a field as well
0: well yeah I mean it it's it's like with with nursing too like patients mm-hmm. need to see themselves represented Right. And who's trying to take care of them, you know, it, it helps establish more trust. And that's something mm-hmm. that's so sorely lacking, especially in POC communities and stuff yep. with everything that white people have done over the years. <laughs> what are you doing to try and, you know, bring more, more people into the SLP role, especially women of color?
1: Yeah, I, I feel like just being visible, just being present, um, you know, like when I started my Instagram page, I was just kind of doing it just to share what I was learning in my journey as a speech pathologist, but I was having so many students reach out to me, especially Black students reaching out to me, telling me, you know, their professors are telling them to change their major and that they're not going to make it as a speech pathologist and just all of these discouraging words that I remember Why? hearing too yeah it's, it's really it is crazy out here and because a lot of the you know program directors are older white women and so it's it's just kind of trying to push past that and kind of push past what used to be and now kind of making this new normal for the field of speech pathology. But I feel like just being present and just being there as a mentor for some of the younger SLPs and SLP students, I think that that helps as well and raising awareness about speech pathology. So, you know, what I learn, I try to share it on my Instagram or my YouTube, just so other people see the field and I'm like, hey, maybe I want to do this too as a career. So just
0: being visible. Well, I'm glad you're visible. Um, I can't. <laughs> oh, that irks me so much to to hear that you know professors would try and and talk these women out of yeah you know the career. Um, and it just makes me wonder if, like, like how long have they actually accepted? You know that. Mm-hmm. Aae as like a dialect, you know. Like, are they are they biased in teaching that? Are they like, "Mm," you know, is is this part of the problem with why Mm -hmm. kids who speak that way are being misdiagnosed? Yeah, yeah. It's really important to have have more women of color in Mm -hmm. in this position. Oh yeah, definitely. I definitely agree. I feel like we're
1: definitely making positive strides towards that. Um, You know, I think with the younger generation. There's just more acceptance of differences, whether it's, you know, racial differences or gender differences or sexual mm-hmm. orientation differences. People are just more accepting, I feel like. Um, and I know it's like a blanket statement, yeah. but I think we're making good strides. So that I'm being hopeful.
0: I, I am, too. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hopeful in that. I feel like especially, oh my God, this younger generation, I don't mm-hmm. even know what they're called anymore. They're like after millennials. Um, but they're doing, they're doing so much. It's, Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're revolutionizing, you know, Instagram and social media platforms and, and, you know, not like forcing acceptance, you know, but like making more things, like the more you see something, the more you accept it, the more you see it, the more you like acknowledge it as, as truth. And it's like, okay. Mm -hmm. So. I think social media is just such a great tool for that and it is, and I really yeah. love what you're what you're doing like through your different channels thank you Your your Instagram's great you really offer a lot of a lot of assistance and tips for like exams and everything too like mm-hmm. it's you've built a really great resource thank you I appreciate it so, what? Where all are you available? You know, like what? What all platforms and stuff do you do you use? I'm um, on Instagram.
1: Um, so, like you mentioned before, um, speak that from the heart on Instagram, and I also have a YouTube channel where extra information about speech pathology and just pursuing the field of speech pathology, and that speaks from the heart as well.
0: So it's like a a virtual blog.
1: Oh, I guess all
0: blogs are virtual, but I mean, like a vlog, kind of like a vlog. I just, um, I'm not hip (laughs) (laughs) Lord. It's okay.
1: It's kind of like an expanded version of my Instagram. So I just go into a little bit more detail and have videos about, you know, how to get into grad school and materials you might need to get into grad school and, um, just different tips to help future SLPs.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. I guess what's what's next for you is, um, are you trying to make like a website or build out your own program? I am
1: working on my website now. Um, it's a lot harder than I thought it was, but that's coming soon. And I actually started a small speech pathology mentorship program last year, and that's called Heart to Heart. And so I have... It's under 20 mentors and mentees who are paired together just to help, again, the future generation of speech pathologists, helping them navigate through undergraduate and graduate school. Um, And I have mentors from all over the country, different backgrounds, different clinical backgrounds. So it's really great. So that's something I'm hoping to continue as we progress through the year. And I just hope to keep being a resource
0: and continue to inspire slps i feel like you're going to start your own foundation just (laughs) hearing you talk about that like you're you're going to have your own your own association for for speech therapy i just i just get i just get feelings sometimes yeah (laughs) but i could i could see you doing that and and really like leading this group and making it accessible for for everyone like that's just that's a that's an achievement that's really awesome yeah I appreciate it
1: I do what I can I I always tell people like I am who I needed as a student I want to be that person for I love that you know the future of SLP, whether it's a student or someone who's just starting out. It's, it's hard. It's definitely not an easy journey and things don't always go our way when we graduate. So I, I just hope that I can be that for at least one person. That'll make me happy.
0: I think you're definitely going to affect more than one person. <laughs> I just love getting to have these conversations because I'm, I'm obsessed with learning about everyone and
1: their yeah. careers.
0: And this is, just been so cool. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Thank you. I love talking about speech, so this, this is great. <laughs> the mentorship program. How do you have people, you know, reaching out to you? Is it just on Instagram? Are you trying to connect with different uh, schools and stuff in your area, or? So it's actually everything's been done
1: through Instagram, um, and my goal is to to eventually expand that. So I know some people just don't have access to social media. Um, but I know last summer I had a dream and I was like, I think I'm going to start a mentorship program. And so I just kind of went for it and reached out to people on Instagram and just was trying to get a feel for people who were interested in serving as mentors and then also students who feel, who felt like they needed a mentor. Um, and it just kind of happened from there, but I would like to, my goal is to maybe have an email list. So that I can keep growing this mentorship program and people who are interested can sign up and just kind of stay up to date. So that is the long-term goal.
0: I think that's a fantastic long-term goal. And if you need, if there's ever anything I can do to help you, like, please let me know. Um, I will plug your, plug the program, plug whatever on on my channels too. So. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Is there like a particular, you know, story that you feel like you can share, like a like a really rewarding one from, from your work? Hmm. Oh, yeah, I can. This is actually a recent one. So
1: at my job, we actually do gender affirming voice therapy. So we work with um, trans is, feminine. What is that? <laughs> yeah. So we work with uh, trans uh, feminine, trans masculine individuals. So people who are transitioning um from one gender to another or who are gender neutral or non binary. And so we do voice therapy to help them achieve that authentic voice that kind of most aligns with their gender. And Lord, this
0: is so cool that you you're blowing my mind again. I did not I did <laughs> not know this was possibly a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fairly fairly
1: new in the world of speech pathology. Like if, you know okay. maybe like within the past ten years, but
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's definitely one of the areas I'm really passionate about too. But I, I've been working with a particular patient for about two or three months, and this particular patient is trans feminine, so transitioning from male to female. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just told me last week that she feels like she's achieved her authentic voice. Like she's happy with her voice. She feels like it represents her and who she is as a woman. And that just made me so happy it just again like seeing the progress and hearing patients say like you know I feel like me this is me and and so that that just yeah that made me so happy
0: I'm I'm you can't see me I'm tearing up over here wow. but that's just such <laughs> a beautiful gift to give somebody yes oh god what an incredible service yeah it's it's amazing I I love it oh my god you are, you are such a gift, girl. Um, <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Plug up, plug all of your Instagrams and stuff like one more time for us, yeah. just so we can make sure we got it. Yes. Um. So you can find me on Instagram at speak.fromtheheart the heart,
1: and YouTube at speak from the heart. Perfect. That's
0: easy. Everything mm-hmm. is together. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining me tonight on the WOMED. I am just so happy I was able to, you know, get to know you and and learn more about um, speech pathology. Oh, my. There's such a huge world. I'm probably going to have to have you come back on and I'm just going to do a deep dive and (laughs) pull up all these different things and have you back on for like a part two and you're yeah. <laughs> be like, okay, what's this? What right. is this? One?
1: <laughs> Sounds good. And thank you so much for having me. And I, I, you know, your community that you have built is amazing. And I'm glad that you're, you know, showcasing women in medicine and how great we all are. So I appreciate you as well.
0: Well, thank you for that. I, I think we're all really awesome. Yes, so. yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yes. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for supporting the WOMED. Make sure to follow along with Lauren on Instagram at speak.fromtheheart. Don't forget to check out her YouTube as well. Um, she has so much good information out there on her channel. And keep submitting your guest suggestions on Patreon if you signed up to for that tier. I'm so excited to be able to go live with y'all in there and answer your questions. And please make sure to subscribe, rate, and maybe drop a little review for the WOMED. It really helps to get the WOMED in more ears. Till next week, guys. You know the drill. WOMED out.